This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. Good things happening, a good, a good week that what God's been up to, and, uh, and there's those moments in our lives that, 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 that right in the middle of good, we, we're faced with challenges, and, um, you know, I've uh, been going through some, some, uh, just, some just a few uh, physical things and, and uh, dealing with a little bit, and just an unbelievable schedule for, I mean, it, it's, it's literally picked up 30, 40%, and, uh, and, and yesterday, uh, was, you know, I've been doing a lot of, you know, like five something in the morning till nine o'clock at night days. And, and yesterday was my uh, day to get home early. And I was so excited. I got home just uh, before six o'clock and uh, I was home early and, and I had no more than gotten through the door. And Charlie said to me, I don't want to tell you because I know it's going to ruin your night. I said, oh. I said, what is it? He said, "Um, water is coming out of the ceiling. How many of you love those moments of your life? (laughs) Water is coming out of the ceiling. And so, sure enough, the uh, air conditioner had decided it was time to to die and uh, just just gave up the ghost all over the ceiling. Come on now, and uh, and uh, went into multiple rooms and, and and so in the middle of that, I was trying my best to deal with that. And the Lord sent somebody who needed five hours of counseling to my house. Come on now, and I was like, God, you're good, you're good. And I was so tired, climbed in the bed. And then how easy is it to sleep when you have lots of insulation and there's no air conditioning in your house? Come on now. So I've been up most of the night. Been a really long day. Had to get busy. Started this morning uh, and came straight from meetings into this time. And so let me just tell you, sometimes you pay a price to bring a message. But I think we're facing a price as we're pushing toward Pentecost. I didn't tell you all that to whine. I really didn't. I want you to understand that sometimes that you're pushing against things, that air conditioner, you you know what I've just come to realize? As much as I want to say that was the enemy, that man needed five hours of deliverance. Come on now. Needed five hours. I would have never given him five hours. Come on now. But when he is there to make sure you're taken care of, you make sure he's taken care of. And I thought, oh, my goodness. God, you've been lining things up. It was such a powerful time of deliverance. He just came back this morning for another three hours. Come on now. (laughs) I said, well, praise God. Well, with that, all said, I feel very strongly about this message. I tried to bring this to you about a month ago, and the altar's filled, and I didn't get to preach that evening. 
And so tonight, I want to bring you a message that I, I particularly am excited about bringing called the Trough of Sorrow. Doesn't that just sound joyful? The Trough of Sorrow. None of you ever face sorrow, right? Well, this may not be what you think it means. Let me read the scripture from Luke chapter number four. I'm going to read a lengthy passage here, then we're going to pray. Then Jesus, notice this, what have we been talking about? We're pushing toward what? Because who fell on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. So notice this, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you would say that's a good place to be. Full of the Holy Spirit returns from the Jordan River. So he's been at an encounter with his father. The heavens have opened. There's been an encounter. He's full of the Spirit of God. And then he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Didn't notice that. He went from the blessings of God saying, this is my son whom I love, the one that I'm well pleased with, full of joy, full of the power of God. Come on now. He was the power of God. And then he has to go to the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Anybody feel the joy in that moment? Most of us don't like four days. Jesus ate nothing at all, all that time, and he became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. So, I mean, there's a reasoning. There's something he's going on. The enemy's addressing needs that he has. Watch this. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He said, I'll give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. Notice verse 7, I will give it all to you if you will but worship me. The first thing the enemy did was tempt him about what he needed. The second thing the enemy did was try to offer him an alternative plan to somewhere he was already destined to go. Let me say that again. The enemy offered him an alternative plan to get somewhere he was already. Can I tell you that he will rule every kingdom and every kingdom shall bow before him and every knee shall confess for the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the enemy is trying to offer him an alternative plan to get somewhere God's already created him to go. But yet, there's a struggle. The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So then the devil takes him over to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. All right, what do we have here? We have the fact that he addresses his needs. He addresses trying to get him to where he thinks he can go uh, in in an alternative route. And then he says, well, does God really love you anyways? Because if God really loved you, you wouldn't be in the wilderness. Or the scriptures say he'll protect and order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, 
He left him, notice this, isn't this joyous? Until the next opportunity came. How many wish that when you beat it, it just stay beaten? Come on. But there's always something in your life that you're going to have to face. I have found that it's not only personal. There's going to be things your family is always going to have to face. It's going to seem like these things are always going to happen. And this is so important. I want you to get this. Have you ever wondered why when you have a moment where you really grow in God and you end up full of the power of God that the next thing that happens to you is that all hell breaks loose on you? I mean, you go to the altar, you get a breakthrough spiritually, and then it feels like the enemy sends a steamroller to knock you out. Is there anybody else that's ever dealt with that? And so the enemy comes to knock you down, knock you out, and to take you out in that moment. But here's the thing I want you to understand. When we face new opportunities, it's always a time that we will face a major setback. Why? Well, there's a term for it, not in the church world, but there's a term for it in the business world. In the business world, if you were studying for your MBA, you would take a moment, you would study this. In the business world, there is a thing entitled the trough of sorrow. The trough of sorrow refers to the setbacks that most startups face in the early stages. For example, they say that one of the things that businesses that are trying to get started, they love to do nowadays, I don't really see the appeal in it so much other than I guess there's a lot of financial gain. But how many of you are, is it, are there any fans of, of Shark Tank in here? Anybody a fan of Shark Tank? They irritate me. I don't want to watch them. They drive me up the wall. But here's the thing we understand about Shark Tank. Almost every item that ends up on Shark Tank, whether or not it receives a buyer or not, will sell out overnight. Boom. Immediately. It sells out. Immediately. It is dealt a, a blow that most of the companies say almost shut them down. Because what they thought was going to be their major breakout almost becomes the thing that breaks them down because they're not yet ready to handle the volume and the level that they thought they could handle because when you advance, you will quickly learn where you're not ready. If something is not, if there's a loose bolt, all you need to do is take that adventure vehicle out off-road and you're going to hear it and you're going to realize you're in trouble somewhere. Because when you go to the challenge, it reveals the weaknesses that you're facing. Jesus himself goes, has a major breakout. He goes, and then he immediately begins to face a trough of sorrow. For 30 years, Jesus has been living in obscurity in the northern part of Israel. 30 years, he's been preparing now the moment has finally arrived. Most of us don't want to spend 30 days walking out our preparation period. Much less 30 years of preparation. But for 30 years he's been preparing. 
Finally, there's a supernatural encounter in the water, and all people can see around him that he is God's favored one. It's obvious that he is, there's something special about him. He has been chosen by God, favored by God, is loved by God, even declared by God himself in an audible voice. Now is the time. Everything's on track. 30 years of preparation, he's ready to roll. He comes back from the south, and the first thing that happens to him is he's led into the wilderness. This is important. If you are in a wilderness place in your life, listen to what I'm about to say to you. You might, you might find it to be more puzzle than purpose. I want you to get that. You may not understand all the pieces that are coming into place, but here's what you need to understand. If God is the one bringing the advancement, God will bring the fulfillment of the advancement into your life. This is so important. You might be overwhelmed. You might be confused. You might find yourself questioning God's wisdom, or maybe you might even begin to question your own wisdom, which might not be the worst thing. As a man who thinks himself wise, you look that scripture up. Did you get to this place by God's guidance, or did you arrive at the moment that you're in by misreading God's guidance? You see, what we can know for sure about the purpose of the wilderness are a few things that the purpose of the wilderness, though, is a place that God uses for preparation for his people to walk into their purpose. So if you think you're ready to break out, what you might literally realize is that God's ready to break some things out of you. First, he takes us to the wilderness because it is a place of separation. I want you to get this. God carried the people of God, ultimately has taken over and over again people throughout the whole scripture into the wilderness so that they could be set apart from the influences of the things they had learned to depend on. What happens when the children of Israel are led out of Egypt? What, where do they go first? The wilderness. And in the wilderness, they ha- God had to do something for them. God had to get Egypt out of them. Watch this. They had been praying far too long that God would get them out of Egypt. But the problem is, if God takes you out of Egypt, but all you do is bring Egypt with you, you make where you're going Egypt. You make the place that you wind up if you don't allow God to bring me. Some of you say, well, this was the problem with my first marriage. Well, the problem with your first marriage will become the problem with your second marriage if you don't allow God to do something inside of you. The problem with the environment that you're in is not that there's something wrong with the environment necessarily, but the problem is what's inside of you. If you had a problem in your last church that follows you to this church or your next church or wherever that might be, what happens is this. What's happening is you're not not realizing that, that somehow, some way, that maybe you're the one that God needs to get that out of. Now, I've done this a long time. 
And I don't mean to sound critical when I say this, but I had a conversation one time with somebody and they told me why their first marriage ended and it was not their fault. I said, okay. Then they told me why their second marriage ended and it was not their fault. I said, well, maybe. Then they proceeded to tell me why the third, fourth, fifth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and I believe it was up to the tenth, I don't know if they were married or just living together by then, how they all ended the same way, and it was all the woman's fault. Somewhere after about the fifth one, I stopped agreeing with them. I said, I see one common denominator in every situation, and it's not the woman. Then they said, well, it's sort of like why I went to jail. My first time, my second time, my third time, my fourth, it's all the cop's fault. I said, you need to realize the fault here is that you don't realize you're at fault. Come on now. And there's a problem. And the thing is, you know what? You can feel always right about everything you do, but I've come to realize in my own life, there's times that I might feel justified in so many ways about the things that, but when a man feels justified to himself, there's a serious problem in their lives. And I've had to say, God, when I start feeling that self-righteous uh, feeling that I need to get on my knees and say, God, teach me what's going on. What are you trying to get out of me? Am I making sense to anybody tonight? <laughs> That's kind of funny I said that. I was riding down the road the other day and some, some preacher said something. We were listening to something and some preacher said something, and, and I said, uh, he's, Charlie said, why, why, is, why does he say that? And I said, well, that's his catchphrase. And, you know, I, 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 I said, does Dad have a catchphrase? I was hoping he'd say, I feel it. He said, I don't know. Do you? I said, well, I know what my dad's catchphrase is. Hello? Anybody out there? Hello? That's my dad's catchphrase. He said, oh, I know yours. He said, yours is, does this make sense to anybody? Said, you just go back doing what you were doing. I was like, oh, and I just did it again. You see, it's in the uncertainties of the wilderness. I underlined this because I felt like this was so important tonight. That, we create, that creates a need for God and a dependence upon God. We have learned how to live in Egypt. I fear that too many of us have learned how to live in places that we weren't created for. It's truth. What's that word? What's that, what's that word I look forward to? What's that word? Oh, there you go. <laughs> Giving you a good chance there, Carl. What was that word? Amen. There you go. You see, in the wilderness, God lets you do with what, without what you thought you were dependent upon so you can come to know him as your provider. God lets you be lonely so that you can come to realize when it all comes down to it, there's no closer friend than him. God lets you be frightened and worried so that you can come to know him as your peace. God lets you be weak so that you can know his strength. In the wilderness, God reveals himself to you. The wilderness is a place of separation 
It's also a place of reparation. You see, when God takes you to the wilderness, he withholds that which you have come to depend on above him. God will cut off from you what you were dependent upon, and you'll realize you didn't need it as much as you thought you needed it. Maybe you came to depend on your job to provide, so God removes that job for a time so you can learn to depend on him. Maybe you came to depend on your own strength and your own stamina, then God brings weakness into your life so that you will learn that your strength is in him. That's what Christina always tells me. I've, my strength was my confidence. And then I went through a period sitting in an old car outside here for days just shaking. And every time I would get to shaking, I'd turn on a song, that Psalms 3 song for the, you know, the angels of the Lord encamp round about me. And I'd listen to it as loud as I could listen to it until I could find my direction. Then I'd go back in until I started shaking it in and I'd go back out of the car. Because I was facing hell itself. But I realized something. That my confidence wasn't enough. Matter of fact, it really wasn't anything. That what I needed to become confident was in him. My confinsius in T, I would say. I have confidence in you, O God. You see... This is what I want you to take from this if you're making notes. In the wilderness, when God's trying to prepare you, listen to what I'm about to say. You will see it as deprivation, but God sees it as preparation. You will see it as deprivation, but God sees it as preparation. Preparation. God is getting you ready, and you think he's withholding from you, and he's showing you you don't need that. You didn't need that junk. You didn't need it. What you need is Jesus. Don't make me work for it. The wilderness is a place of revelation. God brings us into the wilderness so that we can really come to know him. Why do you think God would want you to really know him? I want you to see something in Mark chapter 3, verse number 14, just a moment. It says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Have you ever thought about those that he sent out to preach, the 70 he sent out to preach? They went out, they healed the sick, they cast out demons, they did all these amazing things. And, and, and I have wondered, what did they see Jesus do that we haven't seen him do that they did what we haven't been doing? But they picked up something while they were with him that they could do when he sent them out to represent him. Because when you're with somebody, you know exactly how they would handle the situation. I'll never forget one day, I was walking down the hall back here, and I heard somebody say, I need to see Pastor. And Pastor Michael said, why do you need to see Pastor about this? And they said, well, I, 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 this is what I want to know. 
this is what I want the answer to. And he said, well, I'm going to tell you what pastor's answer is going to be. So I stopped walking, and I wanted to hear what my answer was going to be. I wanted to know. He started talking, and he said exactly what I would have said, and maybe a little better than I would have said it, because it was nicer than I would have said it. I thought, how in the world does he know that? So, sure enough, they caught me around another corner, and I just said exactly where they said, that's what he said you were going to say. I said, well, you should have listened to him. Why you, why'd you ask again? Then I realized something. The reason he could say it was because he'd heard me say it enough times before. I had one of our campus pastors say to me this week, he said, I gave your altar call Sunday. I said, you did what? He said, I gave it verbatim. I said, you could do that? He's like, yeah, it sounds pretty much the same. I was like, it does? I didn't realize that. But he said, I'm not strong in doing a call for salvation, and you are, Pastor. So I gave your altar call the way I've heard you do it over and over. You don't think your kids will sound just like you? Come on now. They will quote you. I don't know why. Danny answered a question for me probably two months ago. He'll remember this when I say this. When I, my dad's phrase has always been, you know which one I'm talking about? Well, yeah, nail it, or it works like it's got eyes. What does that even mean? <laughs> and Danny said to me, Pastor Danny said, he said, that's a baseball term. I said, it is, so I looked it up. And when the ball goes perfectly between two outfielders, like it was made to do that, it's like it looked where it was going, and the phrase they'll say about the balls, it's like it has eyes. Never knew why I say that. Still driving the other day. And I hear Charlie say, that works like it's got eyes. <laughs> I was like, now even he's saying it. Do you know what that means? Could it be that God takes us to the wilderness so we stop sounding more like our earthly parentage and we start sounding more like our heavenly father? that we realized they had the best intentions, but maybe it was even their scars and the generation before scars or the generation before that scars that were speaking. I'm preaching truth. I can tell you when I hit a vein of the Holy Spirit. And maybe they're speaking because that's just all that they've heard said. That's just how we are. Well, how you are might not be how he needs you to be right now. So he takes you through one of the darkest days of your life so that you'll stop looking like them and start sounding and looking like him. 
I don't know who this is for. This is of the Holy Spirit. It's not what I'm about to say. It's not in my notes, not my plan. This is what I'm about to say. Stop cursing the wilderness. You may be hindering God's plan for your life. Let me tell you why. Literally, the Holy Spirit said to me, you get back there to those notes right now. This is important. Part of the preparation for what God wants you to do, you to do, will grow out of the revelation of who he is that he gives you in your wilderness. Now I can say it. So stop cursing the wilderness. Almost every marriage will go through a trough of sorrows. You'll start advancing and then you'll have a setback. Your dreams will go through troughs of sorrows. I'll never forget a time in my life Christine and I had this un, an unexpected blessing come into our lives of finance, and, and it wasn't a massive amount of money, but it was, it was, it was significant. For us, it was, ma- it was massive for us. And, I, and she's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'm thinking about investing into this, and I'm thinking about investing in that. And, and she's like, well, I know you'll do what's best for our family. And I was like, I can open this, you know, this IRA or whatever it was. You know, I'm just, I didn't know what to do. And every time I'd pray about it, the Lord would say, invest in your wife. Invest in your wife. And I said, I'm not giving her this money. <laughs> What's she going to buy with it? I'm hard-headed, I get it. But after a period of time, I finally walked into her, and she was sitting on our bed. I still see her there that day. You remember that. She was sitting on our bed. She said, well, did you say what you're going to do with that money? And I said, I said, I've decided to invest in you. She said, what did you say? I said, I've decided to invest in you. Quit your job. Go back to college. And it's a moment I'll never forget. My, my, one of my true hopes in life has been that I never, I never want to make her cry. It's going to sound odd, but I always tell her, I'm, on, I'm going to outlive you. She said, what do you mean by that? I said, because I said, I am determined I'm going to outlive you. Because I don't want you to have to cry, maybe for joy, but I don't know, but cry bearing me. <laughs> But she started weeping. That day she started sobbing. And I said, uh, why are you crying so? She said, I sat right here on this bed a month ago and said, God, I give up on my dreams. I'm fine if I never get to go back to college. I just want to serve you with my life. You see... That was a trough of sorrow that she had to hit to where she realized it wasn't her plan. It had to become God's plan for it to work better because where she thought she could work it out, then God worked it out. Can I tell you, that's the best return on any investment I've ever had. Come on now, amen. You see... Not only do your marriages go through troughs of sorrow, your life go through troughs of sorrow, your dreams go through troughs of sorrow, 
But your faith will go through troughs of sorrow. You'll try to advance. You're going to get set back. Some of you are doing some amazing things. God, God is radically changing your life. When you can see it on somebody's skin, you know God's doing something. You know it. But you're going to face it. But my God who began the work in you is faithful to carry it through unto its completion. This is so true. But if you pass through the trough, you're going to find there's a blessing on the other side. Listen to these words. Most people give up one step, one try, or one day too soon. There was a man that I admired greatly. And I remember I admired him since I was a boy. But he was lost and on his way to hell. I prayed for him every day for years and years. I love to tell you all my stories are victory stories, but they're not. For years I prayed for him every day. Then one day I stopped up in Delonga, Georgia by a job site, and I don't know why, but, and I'm pastoring this church at this point, but I don't know why. This man that I had prayed for for years looked at me in front of all the workers and began to mock me and try to shove all kind of alcohol in my face and just, just, Mock me. I was so wounded that I walked away and I said these words. I'll not pray for you anymore. I didn't say it to him. I said it to myself. I said, you may end up going to hell, but I'm not praying for you. I was so hurt. That was Saturday. Sunday morning, he went to a church and gave his life to Jesus Christ. I gave up a day too early. I cannot say I prayed for him until the end. I gave up one day too early. And see, I'm not trying to be super pastor up here and tell you only good stories. I'm going to be honest with you. I failed the test. I gave up one, I gave up 12 hours too early. Don't give up. Keep serving Jesus. Keep honoring God. Keep doing what's right. It will work out. You see, Jesus emerged from the season of testing with a greater anointing and a greater blessing. Here's what we learn in the trough of sorrow. That we weren't as ready as we thought we were or we had self-deceived ourselves into thinking that everything was okay. So many of us we think we're ready for the next stage. I'll never forget, there was a time in my life I didn't understand why I hadn't been asked to preach on a Sunday morning. I'd preach Wednesday nights, and God would move, the altars would fill, people would shout Sunday morning, even the, the, the leaders of that church would come to me and they'd say, why won't they let you preach on Sunday mornings? So-and-so puts us all to sleep, why won't they let you preach? And I was like, I was like why won't they let me preach? I, I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. So the day came, that pastor said to me, he said, you can preach that such and such Sunday morning. I got up there and I preached that Sunday morning and it was the worst sermon. I failed so miserably. I remember we went out, there's a restaurant, long timers will understand, called Dinner Deck. Anybody remember Dinner Deck? I went to Dinner Deck for lunch. And I sat in that 
restaurant and I said, I don't think I ever will do that again. 30-something years ago. I don't ever want to preach again because I'm obviously not called to God. You see, I wasn't ready yet. And I was trying to force myself into a new position that I wasn't ready for. The trough of sorrow shows us what we're ready for. It shows us whether we're ready for what we think we are. It, it is a period where God doesn't give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's an opportunity, maybe it's a relationship. I have learned this. God has to grow me. I want you to go ahead and stand with me because I'm going to close now. Go ahead and stand with me. I feel like God's trying to speak to us. I have learned that God has to grow me before he can grow the opportunities around me. If you think your environment is limiting you, you need to realize that you have the power to influence the environment. The environment does not have the ability to stop what God is doing inside of you. So let God grow you and you will be amazed at what you have open to you. Let him grow you. God, don't put too much on me that I would forget you. Too little that I would curse you. Well, I don't know. How about God, let me just find myself perfectly placed in your will. That whether I be in the river being blessed, walking full of the Holy Spirit, or in the wilderness going through a trial, you're still God. I'll never forget one day I, I, I had a, a friend that, that had come in and just told me all the reasons why he, he would never, was never coming back to church here. It really hurt me, and, 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 and I just was really... And I said these words. I said, well, at least I know this man, and it was an older gentleman, this man, uh, uh, he'll, he'll stay with me. And, and, and my dog loves me. That's what I said. It wasn't about a month or two that old man walked in and said, I'm out of here. <laughs> at least my dog loves me. Should have known better than saying that. Dog died. And I was like, what do I have left? I was surrounded by tons of people, wonderful family. But for whatever reason, that had been the gauntlet I'd thrown down. I was like, what's left? And then as I looked up, I realized I had everything I needed. I had everything I needed. That doesn't mean it doesn't still hurt and there's not still pains in life. But I realized the, he's right there. He's waiting for me to come. Well, let's might as well ask him. Does this make any sense to you tonight? Bow your heads I don't know who all this has been for tonight. 
Those hands are already going up. Why don't you just show me if God's been speaking to you tonight? Can I see your hand? All right. 99.999% of the people that raise your hand, you understand why you fought what, what you fought. Oh God, now I see why you pointed out so clearly to me in the scripture that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. As we're on this push toward Pentecost, it's the Spirit of the living God that is in us that's going to empower us to make it through whatever wilderness we have to walk in. You will bring the right scriptures to our mind. You will bring the right encouragement to us. You will send the right words to us. You will give us timely moments when we need to hear, you are faithful, Father. You are good. And your mercy endures forever. Your mercy God sees you. God sees you. Oh God. God in heaven. Cleanse us. Get out of us the Egypt that needs to come out. Somebody needs to pray that. Remove the Egypt that needs to be removed from our lives. And Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us so that we might become prepared to be all that you want us to be. Separated, prepared, and revelation of who you are, God. Because when the hour comes, we can meet the challenge through Christ who strengthens us. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. That's today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at War Hill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find Real Love Now.